Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Welcome to JGB Podcast episode 12. Episode 12. We're trying a, a mini microphone today on my phone, so we'll see how well that works. It seems to be pretty good so far. Hopefully that'll improve the sound quality. It's been a little sketchy the last few weeks, to be honest. Um, all right, segment one, we normally talk about things that we've uh, talked about before. Um, I like asking you trivia questions as well, JJ. So here's your first one. So we're recording on the 19th today. How do you start pitching a game on June 18th, but win the game on June 19th? Uh, it's a double header? No. I don't know. Oh, wait, it's a really late game, and then it keeps going on for a long time. Very good, and we talked about that 97, uh, 1975 World Series Game 6, because that finished after midnight. All right, that was your easy question. I got this one for you, because I saw this week. How do you start pitching a game on May 1st, and get the win on June 14th? What? And follow-up question: How do you get your first win of the season, and your record for the season goes to two and four, two wins and four losses? I don't know. <laughs> I don't All know. right, I got the story for you. This is from Tyler Morn on MILB. That's minor league baseball. On May first, Matt Russell got off to a good start. Six weeks later, he finished the job. In a quirk of scheduling, Matt Russell got to pick up his own outing from a weather-suspended game on May 1st and nearly went the distance on June 14th, throwing 129 pitches over eight innings with a career-best 12 strikeouts to lead high a Jersey Shore to a backdated 6-4 win over Aberdeen. So I figured you might figure out the one way it just goes over to the next day because it was a long game. Um, you could also have the same thing with weather as well, but it'd just be a long game. This one, the weather was so bad... They didn't get to finish the game. So they start the game up on another day. Rarely is it the same pitcher, though. Normally it's just because of the rotation that somebody else will take over. Um, he got to take over his game. So in the meantime, between May 1st and June... Um, was it June 14th? Yeah. And June 14th, he actually had one win and three losses in that time. Or four losses in that time. And then when he came back, so his first win suddenly pushed everything back. So it was his first win of the season, because technically the game started on May 1st, but his record now 2-4. and four. I thought that was kind of an interesting one. Now, last week, we forgot. We forgot to do your baseball card. So, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? I, Who have you got? These are Orioles players. I have right a now. Nick Markakis card. You do. So, do you want to tell us something about Nick Markakis? You've kind of been looking on it. We actually just went to a baseball card show, mainly for a sports card show, mainly for Mason because he wants to go to get some football stuff. And I, wanted, um, I and I wanted to go to get some baseball cards. You did. And also, we're gonna have a um card review. Like we're gonna show our cards on. Um, we'll put it on the MGV uh, YouTube page. Yeah, yeah, I'll put a link in the uh, no, episode notes for this one as well. Yeah, um, we got some cool. Just cards. head over to YouTube. There was, for example, just a little bit. Some of the ones that I've been trying to buy you people who we've talked about, and for yeah. some reason, I guess I didn't get you a Tommy John card. I could have sworn yeah. I bought a Tommy John card. Um, I don't know. Perhaps... I have a Hannes Wagner card too. You do, you do. So, but one of the things you said is that you like on the baseball cards is there's stats on the back, so you can find out. I'm not sure that one has stats on the back. It looked like it had some writing. So, what do you want to tell us? No, but it has like. It has one stat. Okay. What does it say? It says, um, 
that he grew into a first-round draft pick who's now had two straight three, 30 homer, 300 hitting seasons. 30 home run, 30 hitting streak. Uh, that's unusual because I have his stats here and not one season did he have 30 home runs. The most he had was uh, 23 in his sophomore season in 2007 because I do have the stats. So I'm not quite sure where that came from. Unless that was when he was in college or something. I'm not sure. Um, I knew him from uh, the Baltimore Orioles, but I said I remember he went to the Braves as well. And that was only two teams. He played nine seasons with the Baltimore, uh, six seasons with Braves, and he actually retired in 2020. Um, his career at batting average was 288 and he averaged 14 home runs a season he had 189 in total a lot of hits 2388 so 3000s kind of like a significant number um he was a gold glove winner in 2018 as well and, what is um, a gold glove best uh, fielder in that position so it's for your glove that's kind of a um, and actually he had two other gold gloves as well. So it looks like he had three gold gloves. Um, it looks like he was sixth in the Rookie of the Year nominations in 2006 uh, as well. So yeah, we got quite a few uh, baseball cards to talk about coming forwards, I guess. Um, I saw one other thing, um, randomly actually, um, from uh, Coach J Baker on Twitter. That's at Coach Jeff Baker. June 9th, given the chance, I think my high school and college teammates, Adam Wainwright and Nick Markakis, could have be could have been Shohei Itani before Shohei Itani. Uh, Adam Wainwright was nearly drafted as a hitter, and Mark Akis was a college All-American pitcher. Now, we've talked about both of those. Adam Wainwright and, um, oh my gosh, I forgot the catcher's name for the Cardinals. That's the, they've had, I think they've had the most number of wins now. Uh, Molina. We talked about those recently. And, uh, yeah, it was just interesting. They came up as um, people who, we talked about different people. Who was it? John Olerud, who was a pitcher. The John Olerud. Um, player of the year, mm -hmm. and he was then became a batter. And Mark Akis, so he was a college All American pitcher, and then he just went on to become a batter. So yeah, there was a potential for that uh, as well. All right, segment two. This is our match that we went to see. JJ, this was the uh, Fredericksburg National Stadium, uh, the Lynchburg Hillcats. Who you had actually seen before, but you were very young and you didn't remember. I think you were probably three. We or got four. a Lynchburg Hillcats card. Yeah, we did well. today. Yeah, mainly because I of did. That. Yeah, I guess. So, um, uh, this was from uh, June tenth, I think it was. It was Friday. It was just after school finished. We went down ninety five and we went to check out the new stadium. So, you want to tell us a little bit about the stadium and the team? The Fredericksburg Nationals franchise has relocated to Fredericksburg, Virginia, and has. Built a brand new state of the art stadium. It is located at 42 Jackie Robinson Way to in celebrate Virginia South near the Fredericksburg Expo and Convention Center. It's right, also so next to a Wegmans, too. <laughs> it is. So obviously, Jackie Robinson wore number 42, so that's a pretty cool number. And it moved because it used to be the Potomac Nationals, and that used to be our closest minor league team. Um, but it moved uh, two years ago, but then, um, well, actually, probably three years ago, and then the a debut season never happened um, because of uh, COVID. The team secured NA rights with the Virginia Credit Union to, the, to name the ballpark. Virginia Cre Credit Union Stadium as of March 2022. 20, mm -hmm. We went to this. That's where that Since was the, the franchise's yeah. rep in inception. In 1978, began. the team has had affiliations with several 
major league clubs. Mm-hmm. It's right now. It's the Nationals. Right now, it's the Nationals. Yeah, it's formerly been with the Yankees as well. And um, I think you're going to tell us some of the players who were there. Others, others who have played their franchise through the years, and are part of the Hall of Fame, include Barry Bonds, Maglio Ordonez, uh, Jorge jo- Posada. Hmm. Bernie Williams, Andy Pet- Pettit, um, Rick Angel, mm-hmm. and Ivan Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah, now I figured you might recognize some of those names. Only Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, yeah. That's the only person. Um, I thought Maglio Donas. Um, I thought it was a White Sox, but I could be wrong on that. Posada, Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit were definitely all from the Yankees. Uh, Rick Ankeel, I actually only know from the Cardinals, so I'm not sure if that was part of it as well. And Pudge, I always think of the Texas Rangers, but he was also eventually with the Nationals as well. Um, The club is part of the Low A East League, and it was previously part of the Carolina League, and that's where I know them from, um, the Carolina League. All right, do you want to tell us, before we get to the actual game itself, do you want to tell us anything about kind of the game, the stadium, or anything like that? There's um, like a big play area, if you have... A big plate area? What, like a restaurant? No. You get a plate? Home plate? Oh, play area. Oh, a play area. I think you said plate. Uh, Playground. Yeah, it was busy as well. There was a lot of kids on that. It was like one big kind of big climbing wall. Gus. There was Gus. And Gus is the mascot. Gussy uh, Gus. <laughs> I actually did mention that. So you should I actually, get a stuffed animal. I actually put it on here. question why his face is so flat. I actually put on the, my notes in case you've forgotten stuff. Um, you did get a ball pre-game. I think one of the oh, I yeah. think one of the coaches reached around the net and threw it to you. Yeah, and then because um, we got to see batting practice, I haven't seen batting yeah. practice in years. It was great to see that again, um, and I was surprised because they actually had a game yesterday. So they had a double header yesterday. So I didn't think they'd really need that. Um, we walked a loop. Uh, you played on the playground. You also played some cornhole with Mason. Uh, we saw Gus in inning two, but on in inning two, but it was on the other side. And by the time we got there, he disappeared. Uh, we went in in three, and we did get pictures with him. And then as we walked around, we actually did get a Gus plush toy, because um, I know purple is your favorite color as well. And there was that. Uh, inning seven, mommy actually bought something as well. Chuck a ball. Mm-hmm. You got to chuck a tennis ball, and whoever got the closest into the X, the hole in the middle of the X. Won uh-huh. a prize. I don't know what the prize was, to be honest, but yeah, it was something like that. Oh, I also remember we thought we'd won a prize as well. Oh yeah. It said on the uh, if you see a picture of Gus on your program on page such and such, you win a prize. And Mason was like, "Yeah, it's right there," and it was. So we took it, and they were like, "Yeah, no, it's not that one. It's supposed to have like a zero or something, or a sticker on him or something." And um, they're like, I can give you a sticker. So we're like, okay, that's fine. We thought we'd ask. And then actually when we went back, it put the same thing up again. And it actually says you have to have the picture of Gus with a zero on his back, which we definitely didn't have. But we actually saw a couple of rows in front of us. The people actually did have that. They had a post-it note as well. So um, yeah, they definitely had it. But I don't think they, I don't even know if they knew what it was. or I don't even We know could have claimed the prize. Uh-huh. And actually innings eight and nine, we actually got a couple of other mascots pictures as well. So who else did we get? George Washington and uh, Mary Washington. Yeah, because Mary Washington uh, University. They're like it's like her name is basically like someone say to Mary George Washington. It's not Mary, it's Mary. 
Alright, now, leading I... into this game, the ERAs of the people who were pitching, the Nationals pitcher's ERA was about 13, and his name was Dying! Jackson, so we were, like, really rooting for him. And I didn't know who the, the pitcher was, because it hadn't announced who it was going to be for Lynchburg, and then when we got there, his ERA was, like, 1.4 or something. I was like, Dying! oh, boy. I was like, this could be a tough old game. Alright, well, you got the scorecard, Jay. I know it's been, like, 10 days, probably, since, so... You want to talk us through the innings? Uh... Um, day one. Day one? No, day one, four to three. Okay, do you want to talk us a bit through the game, though? Do you want to tell us some of the innings? The first... Some of the key innings? All right, well, I'll get you through the first four, then. It was 0-0 zero, zero through the first four innings. So Jackson's ERA had already dropped quite a bit, just by the fact he hadn't given up any runs at all. So what uh, in, the in the fifth, fifth and sixth inning, the Fredericksburg Nationals got two. And in the seventh... The Lynchburg Hillcats got three. Mm -hmm. And that was it. No, there was no other scores. So we went to uh, a final score was four to three. Uh, Fredericksburg had ten hits. Uh, Lynchburg had nine. There was one error from Lynchburg. And uh, yeah, Fredericksburg took the win. And um, it actually tied them up, I think, at the end. From oh, When I actually grabbed this picture, Fredericksburg's record was 29 and 26. And Lynchburg's was 29 and 26. And I think Fred Lynchburg had gone to the top of the division. So um, yeah, obviously Fredericksburg caught them up a little bit. Um, anything else you can remember from this game? Because there's one thing I definitely remember about this game. I was uh, not very happy with somebody. The ump. Yep. I think he's a Lynchburg Hillcats fan. <laughs> um, and that's probably why. Uh, he blew multiple calls. Um, there was two. only two umpires. And um, it was the one behind home plate was fine, but the guy who was out in the field called them out on a play that was clearly safe. Yeah, he literally dropped reverse, the ball. When they threw it to first and it was clearly out, he called the other guy safe. And um, yeah, the manager did come out. And one of them, I can't even believe the manager didn't even come out. Because I was like, what? What on earth? Like, we were like he literally dropped it. And yeah. he said he was out. Yeah, he did not have hold of the ball. Yeah, he threw it to the first baseman. He did not have control of it. He dropped it, and he still called him out. I don't know why coach didn't come over for that one. Um, I'm assuming you can't challenge calls in the minor league. I don't think they do video replays like that. But, yeah, not good. But he also did several calls that favoured Lynchburg as well. Um, and the fans were not happy with him at all. Uh, there was lots of comments to the blue. Even the Fredericksburg Nationals fans. Well, that obviously, because they were looking for Fredericksburg to uh, win, but he was they was making it very difficult. And I actually felt sorry for Jackson as well, because on some of those, one of those, it was like, he might not get through this inning now. Like, that's an out you just cost him, and they could even score runs. But um, he managed to get through just fine. Um, his ERA dropped as much, by, he dropped by the end of the match to uh, 9, so from 13 point something. Uh, that was a big improvement. One thing I noticed, that you have the stats there, Jay. I don't know if you want to look for specific players. The thing I noticed for um, for Lynchburg is their top five batters went two for 15, uh, two runs and no RBIs. And batters six, seven, eight, and nine went seven for 16, uh, one run and two RBIs. So they were hitting a lot. Seven for 16, that's nearly 50%. But they only had one run out of all those. So they were left a lot of people on base in this one, for sure. In fact, actually, what is I didn't AB notice this dead? at all. L-O-B is left on base. They A-B. A-B, at bats. How many times they bat? Um, yeah, Lynchburg left 19 people on base. Total is 34. And Fredericksburg actually left 17 people on base as well. So, All right, what did you notice then? Anything from those figures? No. 
Nope. All right. Uh, Jackson Rutledge, uh, final figures were six innings, three hits, no earned runs. And then Schoff came in and one inning gave up three runs. And I started getting a bit nervy. Uh, Threadgill came in for the hold and then Sinclair came in for the save. Um, on the other side, Dion pitched 5.1 innings, uh, gave up three earned runs in that single. I didn't um, know. In one inning and part I didn't of the know Rutledge pitched um, nine innings. Uh, he didn't. He pitched six. His ERA is nine. 6.0, it says. You see that first column? Yeah. First column says that. All right. And um, how did the table, how did the, I was going to say table tennis, how did the tennis ball toss go? Uh, well, two people got it in the hole and I got uh, it way past. Yeah, we, we didn't win. Um, I, it's The one I've done before, there's like hoops on the ground. But once somebody gets it in that hole, then you're done. There's no way, you, unless you can throw it and knock it out. So, yeah, people were launching them quickly. I, I was kind of taking my time. By the time I realized what was going on, it was like too late. But, hey, it was for charity, so that was fine. You should throw it at the end. The other thing that surprised me is they didn't do this immediately after the game. Because they did the fireworks. I was like, well, obviously they're going to do the tennis ball and then they'll do the fireworks. Like, they're not going to switch the lights off to the stadium and then switch them back up. They do. I, they did. I and I guess I'm aging myself here. But it used to be like, if you used to switch the lights off and then on again super quick, like, it would, it could blow the bulbs. It used to take, like, 15 minutes for them to light up. And obviously that's not true anymore. The technology is obviously much better. They switched the lights off and obviously it went dark straight away, as you would expect. But when they switched the lights on, they came back at full brightness immediately. So that was something that I didn't know. Um, I love this stadium, JJ. This is definitely a stadium I want to go back to. Um, we had good seats. Um, we were on the third base side. We were probably only six or seven rows back, something like that. Um, nice we place. went with friends of Mommy as well. Um, it was nice to talk to people who were season ticket holders because they really um, knew a lot about the stadium. Like if we went, they were pointing at different people early going, oh, you see that person there? Like they're the, they do this role and they came from this team. And I was like, okay. For me, that was great. I, I always like to know more things about cool different places. So go ahead, JJ. Tell us about Coppin State. Coppin State's Jordan Hamburg keeps on adding to his hardware collection. As it is, as it was announced on Wednesday afternoon that he received thirteen All America honors from the National Co Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. Jordan Hamburg is the first Eagles player to earn All America accolades mm -hmm. receiving the honor as a utility player and i took that straight from uh, what is a utility States. player uh, it means you can use him in different positions so he's not he's not strictly like a shortstop or anything but you can use him as a batter you can use him as a pitcher that's how i read it anyway. or anything pretty much yep yep all right and do you want to tell us a little bit more we've got two updates you can tell me the first part and then i'll do the rest 12 Coppin State players have been assisted Assigned. to clubs across the nation to play summer ball for various leagues. Various leagues, yeah. So it was announced in the Appalachian League. Jordan Hamburg is going to go to the Greenville Flyboys. Now, Greenville, if you remember, was where um, the NCAA tournament was held. And I was like, oh, that's North Carolina. We might better make that. Um, this is Greenville, um, from what South. I can tell. Tennessee. Yeah. No, it's not even that one. It's Tennessee. From what I could tell, so I'm not even. I'm not, I think we'll be going to that one. Um, the Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League. Uh, Josh Hankins and John Neal, the pitcher, will both be going to the Quaker Town Blazers. Uh, the Collegiate League of the Palm Beaches. Mario Cuevas will be going to the Florida Vipers, and Kevin Miranda Castrodad will be going to the Beach Bums. So they're both Florida, obviously. Florida Gulf Coast League. That's another 
another one down there. Marcus Heron, the pitcher, will be going down to the St. Pete Tide. Great Lakes League, Corin Miley is going to be playing for the Cincinnati Stream. Uh, that one we might be able to go to if we're in um, if we're going to Ohio this summer. We Which might is be able the to closest do one, Dad? I'll tell you that in a minute. New York Collegiate Baseball League. Uh, Torrance Smith is going to the Olean Oilers. I hope I pronounced that correct. Uh, Northwoods League. Giovanni Canales is going to the Green Bay Rockers along with Rashad Ruff. Um, I was actually hoping to get to Wisconsin and go to Milwaukee um, to go see a game up there. Milwaukee Brewers! Correct, with High Five Tom. So I'm not sure how far Green Bay is from uh, Milwaukee because I, I went to um, a Green Bay game one time and then came down to the Milwaukee Brewers, but it's kind of on the way back. So if you go in the other way, I'm not sure how close Close this, but possible might be able to see that one. The only thing with pitchers is they don't always pitch every day, so you could go up and you might not even get to see Giovanni or Richard play. So hey, and last one, Tidewater Premier League. Uh, Bruce Hilton and Nico Felber are both going to the Tarbra River Bandits. Yeah, so as I was looking, Jake, so I was like, oh, I wonder which one of these we can go see. They're all a long way away, unfortunately. Which is closest? Um, which is the closest? I I'm not sure. Possibly Cincinnati Stream. That might be the closest one. Um, I think that's probably about seven, eight hours, something like that. So I, I not thought I'd been to Tennessee close. one. That's a long way. It's right on the south. Because I'd already, I, I typed that one into look. That was the first one I kind of checked. So I don't know. Now, also, I'm not sure when all these players um, officially join their teams. Obviously, depending on College World Series, some of these players who are going to the summer leagues might have to wait until they finished. So I did look up um, the Cincinnati stream because I was kind of curious because I think that might be the one that we could, oh, sorry, Steam, that we might be able to go to. Uh, Corey Miley was listed as not ineligible, inactive right now. So I'm not sure when those players join, perhaps Why? in the next few days. Um, because he was still part of the NCAA tournament so that only kind of finished with them that probably takes a little time to wrap up and then you got to find a host family and um yeah i don't know how long it takes to from them saying hey we would like you to join the team but then you suddenly having to go to that team so um not sure so we might be able to do still do cop and state updates jj if we can find these players and look at their stats we might be able to report that i don't know Corey miley got on base three times in his game on wednesday or something like that so we might still be able to do um cop and state updates oh, yeah, then the, the milwaukee game uh -huh. we should find a day that they have a that they have a game that um whoever game. who the coppin state player who's uh -huh. playing for that team is gonna play if we know we don't always know particularly if you're a relief pitcher rashad comes in depending on what the situation is like if they were winning by 10 runs you're probably not going to bring rashad rough in necessarily if they've got a tight game and they've got a two-run lead then that might be when you bring it so you might not know for things like that um if you're a starting pitcher it's much easier to know on what the rotation would be for something like that all right Orioles update go ahead tell us about the games that were played last week okay so they played Toronto four times and played Tampa Bay once. Okay, tell us some results. So the first one against Toronto, they lost eleven to one. Next one, they won six to five, lost seven six. In ten innings. One, one ten to two, one one to zero against Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa Bay is having a hard time. I think I heard somebody say Tampa Bay lost five in a row. So they're having a real tough time right now. How about the Angels slump? Uh, I think they're doing a little better since then. They're not, they've been winning a few, but I think they've been losing a few as well. Um, Toronto were doing really well in division. So the fact that the um, you took two from them is actually pretty good. Now, I got one story that relates to that. Uh, I see the Stowers or Stowers, I'm not sure. The eight, number eight prospect will join the team for the four-game set against the Blue Jays with a very good chance he makes his debut. He's having a good year in AAA, he said, 
Orioles manager Brandon Hyde. The Orange Orioles will shuffle their roster before heading to Toronto as players must be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to enter Canada as required by federal law. Boom. So not every player is vaccinated right now. Because in, in, in America, you don't have to be. But if you want to go to Canada, you have to be. So oh. some of those players got moved to an ineligible list. And then they could bring in some other players. So that's given some of their yeah. prospects a chance to uh, uh, shine a little bit. So And probably some of them did. If you got two wins in Toronto out of four games, that might be uh, pretty good. Um, one other thing I saw from the owner this week. As I have said before, as long as Fort McHenry is standing watch over the Inner Harbour, the Orioles will remain in Baltimore. My mother was born and raised in Northeast Baltimore, attended city public schools at Eastern High School, and has worked with my father their entire lives to help the city, including by restoring the club to local ownership and preventing its relocation location for them as for me the orioles will forever play at oriole park and at no time ever have we contemplated anything different and there was talk that the orioles might want to relocate to a, a better place where perhaps where they could get more fans or something like that so the owner did come out and um, from that statement it looks pretty clear the orioles are going nowhere now saturday's game jj i can't remember but i think the orioles lost by a couple of runs at least um go ahead tell us what games they've got coming up they have two games against the Nationals. That's actually an interleague match because the Nationals are National League and Orioles are American League, so that they don't happen very often. And against and four against Chicago. Oh yeah, Chicago for that, White Sox. Yeah, and and tickets as low as twenty five dollars is low as twenty four dollars for that first National game. Uh huh. Did you see the prices in Chicago? Yeah, they're really low. The first game is three. The next game is five. The next game's 11, and the next game's 5. Yeah, Saturday, normally those weekend games are normally more expensive, and the Sunday game's only $5. They often give out bobbleheads on the Sunday, so the White Sox are obviously struggling to get that people That Tuesday in. one is so expensive. $24, yeah, because it's a rivalry. Nationals and uh, Orioles, a lot of people can travel to that, obviously, right? So people from the Nationals can, but so, so can from the Orioles as well as also. All right, Red Sox update. Go ahead, tell us about the games from this week. I thought you were supposed to do that. I prepared it for you. I, I do the stories. Because I actually went to the trouble of watching the games. Did you actually watch any of the Orioles games this week? No. Nope. Did you watch any of the Red Sox games this week? No. Nope. So you can do the reading. I put the list together for what you. What is the I did put the numbers? ESPN. That's the attendance. Uh, I did put the you, I did put the ESPN because I know you wanted to talk about. Um, you said you liked to see how much the ticket prices were. So I've started doing it from there. So three against Oakland. Um. So... They won two against the Oakland A A's last one against six to one and ten to one. You're not gonna. You know. Lost you're the not... last game against them. Four and won the first the the game against St. Louis. They did. So and then they have three, three games four. against. Um, hold on, hold on, Detroit. Hold on, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, Friday's game, they were winning six to one going into the ninth, and then I tuned in, and it was six to five. Um, there was runner on second, and it was the two top batsmen coming up, and there was two outs, and oof, it was a little bit nerve wracking to be honest. But yeah, Oakland, they had some good hits there, six to one and ten to one. They were pretty dominant in those ones. Uh, Michael Walker picked up his uh, fifth win of the season as well in that game. All right, tell us what they've got coming up then, JJ. 
They're against Detroit. They're against Cleveland. They do, and uh, Detroit and Cleveland are both kind of struggling this season. So I know they're one of them's That's in. That's going to be an easy loss. Uh, they haven't been doing so well in those games, but we'll we'll, we'll see how they do. And um, they did lose the Saturday game, and the Sunday game is going on as we're recording, which is why we're not mentioning that. Uh, June sixteenth, the Associated Press. Uh, Chris Sale threw thirty-two pitches in a simulated game at Fenway Park. He faced the same three batters twice in two separate What is a simulated innings. game? Um, it's not a real game. It's just to kind of get them practice. So they did. He pitched to three people, and then that was it. Whether he had got them out or didn't get them out, so he left it at that. Then another pitcher did kind of the same thing, and then he came back in. So it's not a real game. It's not necessarily even a full game, but it's just to kind of get them into that habit of what it's going to be like when they do start pitching again. And then he sat in the dugout after the first. Uh, Sale has been sidelined since spring training after suffering a fracture in his rib. And uh, Sale has thrown just 42 and two-thirds of an inning for the Red Sox since the end of the 2019 season. Uh, he's had a lot of injuries, JJ. So that includes, I know 2020 was mainly COVID. Uh, 2021 and 2022, he hasn't played yet. Last season, he went 5-1 and one with a 3.16 ERA in nine starts after Tommy John surgery which is one of your cards as well. Yeah. Relying mostly on his fastball and slider, it said. Um, he has talked about he wants to come back and help the Red Sox in whatever way he can. Um, he has a big contract with the Red Sox. It's like $150 million over five years or something. So he's really one of their star players. It'd be nice if they get him back. He said he'll come back even if it's just in the bullpen. So even if he's not a starter, they could do that. <laughs> All right, this week in baseball. Now, one of the things I was looking for when we were at the place today, I said, hey, I'm going to look to see if there's a Kurt Flood card. And you were like, who? All right, this is why I was looking for a Kurt who? Flood card. I'm going to find out in a second. So I want to talk to you, story one, about the reserve clause. So I'm guessing you don't know about that, which is why you're going to tell us about the reserve clause. Go ahead. The reserve clause was part of a player contract which stated the rights to players were kept by the team after the con their contract ended. <clears throat> Players could not just join another team unless they were reassigned, traded, sold, or released. With the re with the reserve clause being released by was the only way a player could get a could be a free agent. Yeah, so basically now, once your contract's done, you kind of know you're allowed to go to any team you like. And um, when they had the reserve clause, that wasn't what happened. Basically, the clubs could say, nope, we want you for another year, and then they'd sign you for another year. And then at the end of that year, they could do the same thing. We want you for another year, and you didn't have any choice. You had to play for the team that had your contract, and if you didn't like it, you couldn't play for another team. So there was nothing you could do about it. You could refuse to play, but then you didn't get paid, and you'd have to do your regular job. So, yeah, it was kind of tough. Um, players could hold out and not sign a contract, but ran the risk of not playing that season. And the reserve clause was finally abolished in 1975. So, JJ, why did they have this reserve clause then? Because that doesn't even sound like it's a good thing then, right? The National League had instituted the reserve clause in 1879. Yeah, a long time ago. Done! Uh-huh. As a means of limiting... Salaries? By keeping players under team control. Under that system, a baseball team reserved players under contract for a year after the contract expired. Team owners argued that the clause was necessary to stop rich teams in smaller markets making their 
taking their star players. Yeah, taking their star players. So I don't know. We, I'm not sure what the figures were, but supposing you have a player for your star players getting ten dollars a week. Remember, this is a long time ago, 1879. Another team could just come in and go and go. We'll pay you fifteen dollars. Of course, that player is going to want to leave, right? So they put this in so you could keep the player and then for an additional year. So it kind of made sense to stop players just continually moving that you'd have some sort of a contract. But after a while, it started to get abused. Anyway, on the day of recording, JJ. Sunday, June 19th, 2022, it's the 50th anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's dismissal of Flood versus Kuhn. By a 5-3 to three margin, the court reaffirmed the antitrust exemption that had been granted to professional baseball in 1922. So, um, it was close. Uh, Flood was the player who wanted to leave, but he wasn't allowed to leave. So in 1969, he was traded from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Phillies. Flood was unhappy with the trade, but the reserve clause required him to play for Philadelphia. He took the case to court, arguing that the reserve clause was a collusive measure that reduced competition and therefore an antitrust violation, which is something that's against the law. Um, the reserve system was held by, upheld though by all three courts. The reserve clause was settled outside the Supreme Court three years later through the arbitration system created by the collective bargaining agreement between the MLB and the MLBPA. I think that's the Players Association. Uh, Andy Messersmith and Dave McAnally played without contracts in 1975 and became the free, first free agents in 1976 after a court ruled they could be retained for only one year after their contract ended. So this is why we don't really talk about it anymore because there is no reserve clause now. Once your contract ends, you become a free agent. Now, one of the cards I got for you, you were like, why are you getting me this card? And I was like, you gotta wait for today's episode. Now, it said that they were the first... Some hunter dude. It said that they... <laughs> that's right. It said they were the first free the agents. Yankees. However... New Year's Eve 1974, Jim Catfish Hunter left the Oakland A's after it was ruled that the A's had violated contract by not paying him money he was owed. So if you don't honor the terms of the contract, that means the contract's void and then you become a free agent as well. So actually Catfish Hunter was the first uh, free agent. So he was one of the top pitchers at that time as well. So it was a big deal that he became a free agent. I'm not sure, JJ. He might have been the first player to get a million dollars a year as well. I'm not sure on that one. But yeah, so that's why you got he a card for... He a million? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's why I think the contract might have been for two, three million over three years, something like that. Uh, but he was a big signing for the Yankees for sure. All right. Story two from this week then. Two near noiter. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday night, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Miles Mikolas, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, yes, sir. Came within one strike of no of a, a no hitter. hitter against the Pirates. Mm -hmm. On Wednesday night, Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Tyler Anderson came within two outs of a no hitter against the Angels. Oh, look who Until broke it up. Until it was broken up by Shohei Otani. I bought was, one of his cards. You did. Um, he, the, the person at the card show said, I like to put out um, like the big names so like if kids come along, they can find the player straight away. And that was the first one that you actually picked out. And he was like, I want a Shohei Otani card. I was like, go ahead. I was like, I can understand why you want to do that. I found a cool beans looking one. Uh-huh. Now, it was funny because we were actually, Wednesday was my last day at school, and we actually left and we traveled to Southern Maryland where we got to see a game, which will be JGB Sports 13. Blue Crabs. It was the Blue Crabs, correct. But in the morning, once we switched 
switched it on, you guys were talking about, oh, there was a near no-hitter. And I was like, huh? I was like, that was the night before. And then you mentioned the team. And I was like, hold on, that's not the right team. And then we looked and it was like, whoa, there was two really close no-hitters to this. Um, I think there's a little bit more for you to read. No, not more reading. Thanks. Oh, no, there's not. Okay, I'll do the next part then. Uh, in a season that's already produced two no-hitters, as well as two that would have counted as such before Major League Baseball tightened its definition of the feat, this week produced two near-misses on consecutive nights. Now, I read that in an article, JJ, and there's one thing that caught my attention straight away. Two that would have counted before the definition was changed. I was like, all right, so tell us. I've asked you this before, so what's a no-hitter? It's when there's no hits, um... Like, if Stillman gets on base, it's only a, it's either, it's a walk. Yeah, so it's not a perfect game. That's the difference between that. But yeah, there's no hit. So I'm like, how could the definition change? So anyway, I looked up to see what happened. I wanted to find those two games. So the two games that would have counted, the first one was from uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Saturday, April 23rd, and it was against the Red Sox. Uh, J.P. Fierson threw two innings. J.V. Guerra threw two-thirds of an innings. Jeffrey Springs threw two innings. Jason Adam threw one and a third inning. Uh, Ryan Thompson threw one inning. And Andrew Kittredge threw one inning. Um, there was no hits, and the final score was three to two. So why doesn't that count, J.J.? Because it was it was what? a no-hitter through nine, but then they gave up runs in the tenth inning. So that's not classed as a no-hitter, which I think that should be. If Harvey Haddix doesn't get a perfect game for throwing a perfect game through 12, then no, I don't think they should get a no-hitter for throwing no hits through uh, nine innings. And the other one was this one. See if you oh, can yeah. work Weren't out... you looking for a Harvey Haddix card? I was. I didn't see one, unfortunately. Um, see if you can figure out why this one's no good then. Hunter Green threw seven and a third innings of no hits. Art Warren came in through two-thirds of an innings of no hits. And the final score for the Cincinnati Reds game was Pirates 1, Cincinnati Reds 0. So why is that not a no-hit game? They did not give up a hit. So why is that no-hitter? Why is that not a no-hitter? Uh, he threw perfect through 9. No, I wasn't sure if you could add them up. 10. 7 and 1 third add 2 thirds is only 8 innings. For it to be a no-hitter, it has to be 9 innings. So why didn't they pitch in the ninth inning? They didn't need to. They were already winning 1-0, so they didn't need to come in and throw. So here were the changes, JJ. No-hitters through nine that were broken up in extra innings do not count. So 15 no-hitters got removed from the list a few years ago. No-hitters lost by the away team in which the game ended with eight and a half innings. There was four of them that disappeared, so they're the ones we talked about. And the other ones, this is the most popular category. No-hitters that fell shy of nine innings due to weather, darkness, a planned seven-inning doubleheader game, or another reason... 39 previously listed no-hitters uh, disappeared. Now, there were some that I didn't know about that were no-hitters that aren't anymore. Uh, Pedro Martinez threw nine innings of a perfect game and didn't get a no-hitter. Um, the person that came in for the last inning gave up a run. Like, oh my gosh, that's brutal. So he pitched nine. I didn't know anyone else had done that. No! So Pedro Martinez, after nine innings, it was Montreal Expo zero, Padres zero on 1995. And the other one is Rich Hill for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, same thing. Game went to the bottom of the 10th. Hill gave up a walk-off home run, and that was the end of the game. So he threw no-hitter through nine Started the 10th, gave up a run, and didn't count. And the thing that I liked about both of those stories is Pedro Martinez, later went on to be a Red Sox player, Rich Hill, 
apparently a Red Sox player as well. Um, I found that in the article really interesting. It's www.nohitters.com uh, slash near hyphen no hyphen hitters. Um, I thought that was a really cool one uh, as well. All right, story three, JJ, we also saw on the ESPN that day. So I think it was... Oh, no, sorry, story three wasn't, but you're going to tell us about story three. There was a lot of stuff that I thought was really cool this week. So come on, tell us about story three. Tell us about a unique home run that happened this week. June 12th. Uh, the story was from at Brian Hop. Kyle. Higashioka, perhaps? I'm not sure I pronounced that one. Homered on a 35... Point one mile per hour pitch. What? That's just I could throw faster than I that. I think at the Orioles game you threw thirty six, didn't you? <laughs> I think. Actually, that was at a buoy. Oh, that was buoy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty slow, isn't it? Okay, keep going. I think you know Especially why. Especially if an eight year old can. Throw I think faster. you know why this is a pitch from one. the Cubs first baseman Frank. Window. Uh, I'm not sure. In the eighth inning of said of Sunday's eighteen. The floor game, it was the slowest pitch ever tracked by Statecast to be hit for a home run. So it's the slowest pitch ever hit for a home run. The idea is it's one of the, it was a first baseman who came in. So he's obviously not going to be a brilliant pitcher. So there's no point in him trying to throw super fast. So what's the opposite? Throw super slow. And that's what he tried and it didn't work. 35 mile home run. That was pretty funny, Higashioka said. Someone once told me the key to hitting a knuckleball is stay back, stay back, stay back. So that's what I did. And that's what, I'm, that's what I was trying to do there. All right. Story four was what we saw on ESPN. The Immaculate Inning. So what is an Immaculate Inning then, JJ? Because there was two of them in this story. That's why it was so important. All right. He's shaking his head. I don't Wednesday's game against the Texas Rangers was the first time in MLB history that the same team accomplished the feat twice in one game. Astro starter Luis Garcia did it in the first did it first in the second inning. He retired Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, and Brad Miller, all in order, all via strikeout. So basically, JJ, it's nine pitches, nine strikes. All three people out, and that's the only thing that happens in that inning. And Garcia retired a four-straight hitter via a three-pitch strikeout to start the third inning as well. Not sure what the record is for most consecutive strikes thrown, but I'm sure you're going to ask me, and I'll look as soon as this episode finishes. Is Five like innings later, something? Astros reliever Phil Maton or Maton faced the same three batters, and once again, they were all retired on three three-pitch strikeouts. So that was the first time in history that there's ever been two immaculate innings within the same uh, game. Now, Wait, I saw... Three. I'm sorry? One, two, three innings. One, two, yeah, one, two, three innings, yeah. Um, and I, I hadn't really heard that phrase, immaculate innings, until, um, sorry, immaculate inning, until probably about a week and a half ago when I saw a similar story. And um, one of the Yankees pitchers did it. The catcher took the ball and threw it into the crowd, and his own players were booing him. And they made him go back to the fan and ask for the ball so they could give it to the pitcher because it's such a, a unique thing that happened. Luckily, the fan was a big Yankees fan. He traded it for a different ball. I'm not sure if this one was signed or something, but he was pretty cool about it. So um, they managed to do that. All right, JJ, I think it's time for some outro music. All right, you're lying down, so I think it's my turn. No! No! Water balloons! Ah!